Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. And that's what I try to keep in mind. Like, just tell me where to get started. Like, let's just get the ball rolling. The faster we get started, the faster we learn, the faster we improve our processes, the faster we reach our goals, right? Even if it means failing a few times along the way, some of that's going to happen no matter what. And let's, let's do it fast and let's improve, right? And move forward. Welcome to Rid Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors. Welcome to another episode of Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. Today, my guest is Whitney Sewell, and Whitney began investing in real estate in 2009. And then in 2017, founded LifeBridge Capital, which is a multifamily syndication firm. And in just a few years, LifeBridge has grown to over 900 doors and 150 million worth of assets under management. He also started the Real Estate Syndication Show, which is a daily podcast where he's interviewed over 700 experts. I think it's probably more than that now, probably 900. Almost a thousand. Almost a thousand and has over 100,000 downloads each month. Man, that is incredible. And Whitney and I personally know each other. We've known each other for a couple of years. So I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining, Whitney. Yeah, my honor to be here, Kent. It's great to see your growth and what's happening and us to just kind of go through this at the same time and watch it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you are several steps, I would say, along the path. So you've been a great giving me advice and as the show has grown and very much appreciate that. So before we get into kind of the the nitty gritty, why don't you tell the listeners just a little bit more about your story and, and about yourself? I go back to March of 2001 and I say March specifically because everybody knows what happened in September of 2001. In March, I joined the military, and that was just something I just thought I should do. You know, I just at that time, I think I was 17, and I just thought, you know what, this is just the right thing to do. And so, joined the military, not knowing obviously we would be at war shortly, but you know, then found myself all 2005 in Iraq. And, you know, it was such an experience, right? I mean, it's life-changing to be in combat or to be at war, especially for a year at a time. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, not everyone in my squad made it home, but I'm, I thank the Lord every day that I was able to to come home and, and not be, and be 100% really. I, I mean, so many guys and gals are, you know, injured in, in ways that affect them the rest of their lives. And I'm thankful 
that I am healthy, but uh, thankful to have served. And I came home and quickly became a police officer. It was an easy transition. Love the structure and the discipline, the uniform, and just the service mentality. And so I became a police officer with Kentucky State Police. Uh, the first couple of years, I would have done it for free. I mean, I loved working the road as a police officer. However, I was not married then either. And, uh, you know, things change, right? You know, and you, you picture having a, a growing family and a, and a bride. And soon after being married, I discovered that you know what this is this is really difficult we just passed each other in the hallway the first whole year of marriage and i could see quickly that it was just not what was best long term and so it made me start to look, right? Think about what other streams of income can I start to have? Or what do I do to create more income? Because I noticed guys were retiring you know, after 25 and 30 years, and we're still making about 35 to $40,000, you know, as a police officer. And so, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. Like I said, the first couple of years, it, you know, it just wasn't even on my radar because I enjoyed the job. I would have done it right. for free nearly, but you know, all of a sudden things change, you get married, you start thinking about a family and we could see that it was not what was best. So after doing some research and now, you know, we're in probably 2008, 2000, beginning of 2009, I noticed that, uh, you know what, not only had like one or two people built wealth in real estate, but hundreds of thousands, you know, I mean, like so right. many people have built wealth in real estate. I'm like, okay, if they can do it, guess what? I, I can do it too. And so we started educating ourselves uh, the best we knew how. I bought a couple triplexes uh, in a, in the local town where we lived, and we learned a lot the hard way. We made a lot of mistakes, you know, I mean, numerous things, but you know what? We didn't quit there. Thank the Lord. We, we did not quit there. I soon became a federal agent. And so that they gave me better pay, better benefits, better schedule, all those things. But we did make us move to Virginia where we still live now, uh, but mm -hmm. kept pursuing real estate and whatnot. I even had another business on the side and my wife and I had a farm we'd always dreamed of. And it's a whole nother story. But, you know, then we decided to that, like the farm and other business that I had was never going to be passive. Right. And, and I'd, I'd had some rentals on the side. I had up to a 15 unit at that time as well. And it finally hit me that, you know what, this is, it's going to take so many doors to build that level of income, uh, you know, where I can be passive, where I can have that time freedom. I mean, the writing was on the wall again. It's like, okay, wait a minute. You know, it's still not going to get us there as fast as I would prefer. And then all of a sudden I learned about the syndication business and I could not believe that I hadn't known about this so many years earlier. I know. I mean, it was like, I what? know. You know, but the more I learned about the structure and just growing a professional brand and business and also just working with professionals, that was very attractive to me. You know, I can work with professional investors, I can work with professional management, I can build a professional team, all those things, as opposed to me personally looking for more tenants and toilets, right? And managing that, just that that grind myself and trying to scale that and how difficult that is, uh, while I can build a team to do it much better, much more efficient, and just do a better job long term, uh, not only for me, but for lots of people, uh, you know, so our investors. So then we we did jump into the syndication business. And when we decided to do that, we sold our farm. We sold everything. I sold the 15 units, sold, I mean, just to completely commit to yeah. that business. And a very difficult decision for my wife and I, but we knew it was like now or never, you know, let's just do it. Let's rip the bandaid off. Let's, yeah. let's push forward, you know, and, and that's what we did. A very difficult, a massive sacrifice. And the sacrifice had only begun at that point, just the time it took for us to do it. It was more than working two full-time jobs for like two years. And so massive time lost with family and the kids and just some hard times, uh, you know, but you know what, we just kept that the bigger picture in mind and focused on our goal and eventually reached it.
Well, that's an incredible story, Whitney. And now that you've you've reached this level of success, you know, and, and you founded LifeBridge Capital, you know, I, I know that you have just a very unique mission beyond just make money, right? Beyond uh, to make money for investors, which is which is a great thing to do. You're improving people's lives, but you have another mission that's a little more unique. I wanted to just hit on that. Tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing with LifeBridge. Yeah, thank you for asking that, Kent. And I'll go back a little bit. When we moved to Roanoke, within a week, my wife and I went to this thing that's called Secret Church. It's by a pastor called David Platt. If you look him up, he's pretty easy to find. But just someone we had learned a lot from and followed. And when we moved here, we went to this thing and he was talking about caring for orphans and widows and how they had adopted maybe one child at that time. They've done numerous now. But but ultimately, he opened our eyes to not only the expense of adoption, which is like 40 to 60 grand, unfortunately, to be able to bring a child home to adoption. It's very unfortunate, but there are things that have to be paid for and make sure it's done legally, all those things. But also the need, you know, of 140 to 160 million orphans in the world. You know, I mean, many of these children are, are dying from things like diarrhea that we can cure with a dollar, you know. And so just that need alone, you know, on our way home, my wife and I at Chelsea, you know, we were, we had never discussed adoption before and really we were really newly married still. I mean, maybe a couple of three years into marriage at this time. And the biggest question that came to our mind then was why would we not? Like, why would we not adopt? And so it seemed that simple. The Lord just really guided us to doing that. And we felt just confident in pursuing that. And, and within a week, we turned in our application to adopt from Ethiopia two years to the month. I mean, it's a very long, drawn-out roller coaster of a process, but very worthwhile. Two years later, our first son, Samuel, came home to adoption. And nine to 10 months later, our second son, Elijah, came home to adoption. And then our daughter now, who, who came home to adoption as well, is about 20 months old. So, you know, we're very familiar with the adoption process, and it's just something we're very passionate about, but also now helping other families. Because that financial burden is more than enough to keep most families from pursuing bringing their child home to adoption. Yeah. And so we have calls with families often that just want to ask us about the process and our experience. And we share with them those things. And they say, you know, Whitney, that's more than I make in a year. How can we do that? And so mm-hmm. that pushed Chelsea and I to begin uh, the LifeBridge Foundation. And the Lord's just really blessed that. We've committed half of our personal profits to that. And other people are donating as well. And where we can help families financially, with, uh, you know, with that financial burden, so they commit to bringing their child home. And so we're providing matching grants, you know, to families that, that apply and things like that. So they'll commit Commit to bringing that child home. I mean, that's incredible. You're having such an impact on on so many people through this. So, I mean, I really commend you for doing that and taking. I mean, I'm sure that's not easy to set up. I mean, you mentioned how much work goes into the syndication business, and you're setting up another foundation on the side and giving so much of your time to do that. So, that's just a fantastic mission. And thank you for doing that. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And so. Coming back to the multifamily side, you know, you mentioned your story, your growth into multifamily. I think that's kind of a similar path that a lot of us take, right? You're just like, you know, on my own, the number of doors that I would have to build up to be, to reach the level of financial security I would want is just, you know, it's just way more than is practical to do one door at a time or even, even four, you know, eight doors at a time. Right. And so you, you reach this point where you say, okay, I, I want to go after a larger multifamily. You discover syndication. And then how do you set off to, to just have this idea that, or, or I guess have the courage to say that, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start my own business and I'm going to start, I'm not only going to just invest with people, I'm actually going to run these deals. I'm going to, I'm going to go and syndicate myself and, and bring others into these opportunities. 
Yeah, big decision and massive commitment on my wife and I's part. We had to be completely committed to be able to scale as fast as we have, build the team that we have, all those things. But, you know, when we sold the farm, it was really, I mean, it, it just took that level of commitment, right? And, and it's like burning that bridge. Uh, yeah. I was passionate about training and riding horses and had a, a really a growing business and brand doing that. And most people in the industry do not know that side of, you know, of me, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're selling horses for more money than I ever imagined. But however, I mean, I was traveling and doing clinics all over the country, teaching mm-hmm. lots of people, you know, how to work with their horses successfully. However, I, I realized that it was never going to be passive, right? It was always going to have to be me. Sure. And so I knew there was an opportunity in real estate. And again, there's so many people had done it. I'm like, okay, I can do it too. But what I did was started traveling to conferences and started meeting lots of people that were syndicating deals. They were buying 100 and 200 unit complexes and they really hadn't been in real estate very long. You know, and Mm -hmm. when I say very long, like one to two years. And again, I'm like, okay, if they can do it, guess what? I can do it too. And what I just try to always remember, and it's funny that this comes up because I just made a, uh, just a short quote about this yesterday online was, uh, you know, don't tell me how hard it's going to be. Like, tell me where to get started. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I try to keep in mind. Like, just tell me where to get started. Like, let's just get the ball rolling. The faster we get started, the faster we learn, the faster we improve our processes, the faster we reach our goals, right? Even if it means failing a few times along the way, some of that's going to happen no matter what. And let's, let's do it fast and let's improve, right? And move forward. Yeah. So that's what we had to do. And at that time, it was like, okay, large multifamily, I can see the benefits of scaling fast, helping others, you know, through syndication. And so let's just do it. You know, let's, let's make it, it's now or never, the sooner, the better. And so we did, we jumped in, started traveling, networking as hard as I could go, like two, probably two conferences nearly every month in different parts of the country. So flying somewhere while doing a daily podcast, while doing our third adoption, while moving twice in the process, just growing family. It was to say the least, it was quite insane, but <laughs> yes. you know the Lord just sustained us, and we're thankfully we we made it to the other side. <laughs> That's awesome, man! I, I appreciate your level of commitment and your willingness to just, like you said, just move forward, just take the leap, and just go. I think so many of us sit on sit on that precipice of should I do it? There's so many risks, you know, things that hold us back, those limiting beliefs. And it sounds like you just were just crushing through those, I mean, wall after wall after wall and just to be able to get to where you are today. So I think it's a, it's an inspiring story, Whitney. I think you're blowing away a lot of people's limiting beliefs right now that they've just got too much going on, right? It's not the right time. And I think it's just never the right time, right? You just got to get started. It's such an excuse. Yeah. And you, and everybody's heard this, but it's so true. Everybody has the same 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. It's all about where you spend your time, how you justify the most important tasks that you're working on uh, and building your team you know, around that to help you get those things done. So uh, yeah. it's not rocket science, but it is a matter of being self-disciplined. Absolutely. I love that message. I love that message. So getting into your business. So you live in Virginia, but you're investing on the other side of the country, right? So where are you focusing your investments? So Colorado specifically, but Colorado Springs is where the majority of our units are, about 750 units there. Then we have 172 in Idaho as well. And actually just got a contract yesterday on another project there. By the time this comes out, you know, it'd be fine to talk about. But, you know, we're growing in both of those markets. You know, like I'm sure you're going to ask a lot of people say, well, why all the way across the country? There are. There's plenty of great markets on the East Coast, the Southeast, obviously, and very competitive. It's where a lot of of investors, a lot of syndicators are, operators, and they're focusing heavily there. Even, you know, they're in California. California focusing in Atlanta, Jacksonville, Mm -hmm. Florida, and you know, all those places. So 
You know, one thing that happened though a few years ago was I met my business partner and Sam Rust. And so, yeah, it's an amazing story how we met. Uh, I've been praying. I'll just share a little bit, and you're welcome yeah. to ask about it. But I've been praying for a business partner for a long time. And, you know, lots of people had asked me to partner. They knew I could raise a lot of capital. Obviously, that you know, that was uh, inviting for them. They wanted to partner so they, mm-hmm. they could close deals and we raise a lot of money. But, you know, I had spent so much time and money and energy on building those investor relationships and having that distrust with my investor mm-hmm. base. The last thing I want to do is partner with the wrong person, right? Absolutely. Uh, so I said no, you know, to all those people, even knowing, yes, I could have done probably more deals faster, could have made some money. It wasn't worth it, right? In the mm-hmm, long run. Mm-hmm. So we said no, but finally met Sam uh, at a conference. And it's a long, amazing story. But, but you know, it was obvious that he had skills that I didn't have and I had skills that he didn't have. He was somebody that just believed the way I believed a lot about many things, including family and faith and, and just mm-hmm. things that are very important to us. But just also, you know, even to other levels of how we treat employees and how we grow a brand and how we, how we function, you know, and how we investors first, all those things. And so with those two skill sets, when we merged, it was like, you know, wow, okay, now I can, I don't have to focus on, say, on underwriting as much, or I don't have to focus yeah. on deal flow as much. You know, that's like his lane. Now I can yep. just really focus over here, you know, mm-hmm. on what I'm good at. That just helped us to scale so much faster. But another, but getting back to the market question is mm-hmm. he lives in Denver. And so he already had some of those broker connections, right? He'd already been working in that, but he didn't have the investor base. He didn't have that capital behind him. So, you know, he already had some of that there. And it's also two great markets. You know, they've been growing. It's not like they just started growing over this last year, which they have been exploding over the last year, but they've been growing for a hundred years very steadily. And so, mm-hmm. so we love that about those markets, but also that, that he's right there, right? I am personally in those markets. Market, probably at least once a quarter, if not twice, uh, especially if we're doing, do, you know, anytime we're doing due diligence, putting another deal under contract, I'm there for that. Yep. But even if we're not, I'm there, you know, touring the properties or talking to property management in person, those things. But he's there, you know, almost on a weekly, bi weekly basis at every property. And so that was a big thing for us as well. And, and it's like, okay, we're, we're already this close to these amazing markets. He already has connections there. Let's hammer on that, right? And yeah. so that's what we did. And we've experienced great growth there and through other uh, building other great relationships with brokers and property management and other people. Yeah. I love that because you, I've always been kind of fascinated with how quickly I see people do partner in this space and partner in, in this business. And, and I know that a partnership, you know, one thing that's nice about real estate is you can partner on an individual deal, right? And, and you don't have to necessarily be married to that partner, but I've always just kind of fascinated when I see these partnerships kind of slam together, you know, and all of a sudden we're, we're coming out and we're, we're doing the business and things. It sounds like you were very intentional in, in how you went about that. You, you said no to a lot of people. Two things that really stuck out to me were one, you guys have complementary skill sets, right? So, I mean, to me, that's really the, the only reason to partner is if you're going to find somebody that has, you know, has skills in areas that you lack and, and, they're, and, they're, and vice versa. And it's complementary, right? Because like you said, it allows you to grow exponentially beyond what you'd be able to do by creating that, just that specificity of focus, right? You guys both do what you're good at and there's trust there, but it allows you both to get so much more done. But also you said that your, your core values align. Right, you guys are on the same wavelength. You guys, you know, you you look at family and faith and all these different things, the same way. And I think that's so critical. I think that, I think that you have to think of partnership in that way, kind of 
kind of going back to the analogy, like a marriage, right? You're not going to marry somebody that where you have different belief systems in place and, and different goals and things you want to achieve. Well, I mean, same thing with a partner, right? So I appreciate the intentional approach that you took to get there. And obviously the results are, are showing themselves. Well, what you believe at your core, you know, it's like, is what you believe in business important? Well, of course it is. But however, what you believe at your core shapes how you operate your business and how, how you present yourself, how you work and prefer others, right? Over mm-hmm, yourself, mm-hmm. all those things. That's why like ultimately in the very beginning, that was much more important to me. And to share it a little bit more, we were sitting at a large table Couple of nights with a large group of people at a conference I'd never met him before. Maybe somebody introduced us earlier that day, a mutual mm-hmm. acquaintance. And I heard him talking about his faith and his family and, and things he had done in real estate. Just uh, I could tell he was a very intelligent guy. And, and I thought, okay, you know, we have a lot in common, but a lot of complementary skills. So, you know, the last night of the conference, I just pulled him aside and I just said, you know, Sam, we don't know each other, obviously, you know, at all, but we've had a few conversations and you know, we've been praying about a partner for a long time and you seem to fit the bill. You know, I just made it very clear up front that if you're open to a partnership, I'm willing to discuss it. It doesn't mean we're going to partner, but right. I, I would like to get to know you better. Okay. And so he and his wife and me and my wife, Chelsea, we had numerous Zoom calls for hours, like over the next few weeks. And then I actually went back to his house and stayed with he and his family for three or four days, you know, just to get to know them better. Because uh, I feel like at Absolutely. that level, it's so much important to get to know them before we get into business, right? You know, how he treats his family, how he treats his wife and his kids say a lot, you know, mm-hmm. about who he is. Mm-hmm. I even you know, went to church with them and got to meet other people that know them well. You know, I've met his whole family now, but but I just mean it, it's, it, you know, went to that level of depth to say, you know what, this is someone that's going to do things the way I, I would do them, you know, outside, you know, as far as our core is, is concerned. And so that's why it was so important to me to do that level of due diligence. And he as well, he did the same thing. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and it's been, Lord's really blessed our partnership for sure. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And and I've met Sam and Sam is an awesome guy. So, so congrats. And and obviously it's been the catapult for your guys' success. So you guys are you guys are crushing it right now out in Colorado and Boise. You you've grown to 900 units. Sounds like soon soon you'll be hitting over that thousand mark. I mean, just incredible growth. What is it, I guess, as framing this, as we've come through the pandemic now, or maybe hopefully, we'll say hopefully at the tail end. You know, and we're in, we're in a different world than we were a, a year ago or even before. So, what is it now as you're looking out that that's keeping you up at night? And how are you altering your strategy to to take those things into account? <laughs> that's a great question. You know, what do we see? Well, what's going to happen in the next six months, right, or a year? Well, nobody really knows. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as uh, keeping me up at night, you know, obviously I try to stay up on politics best I can. You can't almost watch too much of it, right? I mean, it just depress you. Yeah, but, for sure. You know, we do, I do want to know what's going on, and, and there's a few outlets where I try to get information, but but it's hard to even know then what's truth, what's really happening, what to believe. And so, you know, we have to try to decipher those things the best we can, you know, and, and the markets that we're in, I'm, I'm very pleased with, you know, and to be there long term, as far as I can see, you know, in the in the near and far future, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, we're very pleased to be where we are at. Things that keep me up, if you get to thinking about it, would be like, what's going to happen to the U.S. dollar? 
you know, over the next year or five years, or, you know, are, are we going to be at war, you know, with another country in the next year or two years, you know, just, think, I wouldn't say it keeps me up at night right now, but you know, those are things I think about, right. Just like massive things that are out of completely out of our control that, you know, we can almost do nothing about, but that would affect us and, you know, us for, and for generations, you know, in a massive way, you know, those are things like I think about sometimes like, okay, you know, how do we prepare for things like that? You know, those would be the things that I would be thinking about that might keep me awake a little bit, but not yet. But I do want to educate myself about those things, what's happened in the past, right? And, and look what's happening right now. But, you know, as far as multifamily and, and real estate, yeah. I, I mean, I still don't know a better asset or better thing to invest in, right? Than owning that physical piece of real estate. You know, whatever happens with the dollar, I mean, people still have to have a place to live. Even if we started trading some other kind of crazy currency, they're still going to have to pay us. <laughs> You know, one way or another, they're still going to have to have a place to live. And so that's why we love multifamily real estate, you know, the residential side. Yeah, that's right. You keep it simple, right? I mean, it's a, it's a core human need. It sounds silly, but everybody does need a place to live, right? Like, it, I mean, it can just be that simple. And, and if you look at the supply demand dynamics in the US, right, we just don't have enough housing. We especially don't have enough affordable housing. So there's just a need out there and there's need, there's a need for people to, to improve these buildings that have been there for, you know, 50, 60 years at, at this point, a lot of these properties. And, and so for folks to come in and clean them up and, and put some money into them and, and kind of make them nice and new again, I think there's, there's always going to be a ton of value there. So. Yeah. Now I think you hit the nail on the head too about just the affordability issue. I think there will be an affordability issue even more so probably over the next year to two years. You know, and so I think we need to be watching that. You know, as we're buying deals now, mm-hmm. uh, we have to be looking at things like that. Like, really, what do we expect the rents to be two years from now or five years from now? You know, is that is this continued growth? Is that really going to happen? Is that really something we should count on? Even things like, you know, still having that long-term fixed rate debt, we do mm-hmm. not want to be made to sell two years from now, right? right. You know, right. It, it may be a great time to sell. However, we don't want to be made to sell just in case, you know, the market takes a big correction or something, Absolutely. right? So even having massive reserve budgets, I mean, I've just always been a stickler on having you know, big reserve budgets. And and, yeah. I, and so on our show, I always ask, you know, people say our reserves, conservative underwriting, all that stuff. I'm mm-hmm. like, tell me what that means, right? And and typically for us, I'm going to say like six to nine months, you know, of expenses, if not more sometimes. Yeah. And so, you know, we were scrutinized some on a deal we did, you know, last year, actually just a few weeks before COVID. I, I love this example. You know, other operators invest with us and some of them are like, Whitney, don't you think that that hurts investor returns and whatnot? And I was like, Maybe just ever so slightly, but you know what? For us to sleep better, it's worth that. Just that little bit of, you know, that little bit of hit on returns and having that cushion there. Often I hear operators say one to two months and I'm just, I'm just not comfortable with that, especially right now. Right. You know, we're talking a 200, 300 unit deal. 100,000 can be gone in a hurry. So we're just, and actually after we close that deal, a week later, they shut the country down. And guess what? Everybody's very thankful we have those reserves then, right? Now you look like a genius. That's you right. Know, right? <laughs> so we right? still want to look like a genius moving forward, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I appreciate exactly what you said. I'm glad you brought that up because you know, a lot of the listeners on this show are our passive investors, our folks that that are that are looking to place their capital. And and one thing that I'm I just try to preach is, you know, you've got to look at the downside risk more than you're looking at those returns. Cause because the returns 
the returns will be there if you're with a good sponsor, right? The good sponsor, if they're in good markets, the returns will be there. Asset appreciation will occur over the long term. You know, cash flow will be there as long as you've got good reserves and good things in place, right? So that you're not having to pull from that cash flow for unexpected things. So, but talking about that downside protection, I mean, I, I appreciate you saying that because. I think that that's so important. And I don't think enough people focus on that. I don't think enough investors ask those questions, right? What type of reserves do you have in place? You know, what what's the war chest look like? What can we pull into? Uh, because what that's preventing is the likelihood for having to do a capital call, right? And and having to come back to the investors and say, hey guys, something came up that we didn't account for, we didn't think it was going to happen. And so we actually need more money to keep this thing rolling, right? And and that's not a good position for the investor. It's not a good position for the syndicator. It's it's a, a situation I've I've been in as a passive investor, you know, having to to put more money in. You kind of have that, man, am I throwing good money after bad kind of feeling here, right? Luckily the the deals that happened to me on, you know, they worked out. But I just think that, that your approach is is exactly right on. And I hope that more people are thinking about it that way and asking those questions to their sponsors. For sure. You better be asking some questions questions (laughs) and understanding those things. Awesome. So no, so it's a great segue into what I like to call the keys to success. And so there's four questions that, that we ask every guest. The first of which is, if you only had one question, what is the one question that every investor should be asking their deal sponsor? That's difficult. One question can't. I mean, <laughs> just one. What's the most important thing? If you're if you're like you're an investor and you haven't invested with somebody before, like like what's the one most important thing you should ask them? So what I usually tell, so I get the question often from passive investors when I have that call, you know, and we're mm-hmm. getting to know each other, and they say, "What else should I ask you? And what should I be asking other sponsors?" And I want to help them, right? Because you always get the questions about market and the deal, and the, you know, the under conservative underwriting, right? All those things that people talk yep. about. But, but I think before you get to all that, the one thing you need to know and you need to ask about are questions around the operator's character. And so, like before investing passively with an operator, like. I want to know how they became who they are. And so it's really like, it's difficult things that people have to go through and persevere through and accomplish that mold who they are, right? And and gives them the ability to do hard things, you know, later in life as well, right? You know, have that thought process and ability to think, think during hard times and perform. Mm -hmm. And so before I get to all, there's hundreds of questions that you can ask, right? Of course. But before I get to those I want to know the operator's character. I want to know how they became who they are. You know, you just ask them, tell me about your background. Where did you come from? What did you do growing up? You know, and obviously you're not probably going to care about what they did in high school, but, you know, even there's some things even back then that will tell you about their mindset, you know, pushing (laughs) through hard things. Yeah. You know, and it'd be hard to maybe know about some of those things, but get to know them. So ask a question about how they became who they are about their character. Yeah. And, you know what's what I find interesting because because you're right. A lot of the questions that I think like I receive, which similar to you sounds like, are are about you know very technical things, market deal structure, things like that. But the people that I have on this show, the experts like yourself, consistently say similar things. That and, and it's actually a much simpler 
question. It's, it's just starting with the sponsor and does the sponsor have good character, right? And so I yeah. think when you, when you listen to the experts, I mean, it, it really gets down to starting with the sponsor, really understanding. I mean, like, I love the process that you talked about going through with Sam. I mean, not that you have to go through, not that you're going to go stay at every syndicator's house for, for four days, but, but at least there was a process to get to know each other. Right. And, and to make sure, like, you got to make sure that your core values are aligning and kind of like what you said, it's like this idea of like, where did they come from and, and what makes them who they are today? And, and based on those things, are they going to have the competency like to get you there? I like what you said about the ability to, to get through hard times and make tough decisions. I mean, I'm sure your military background, your police background, you know, all of the, that background of service is going to condition you to, to make good decisions in tough environments. So I'm sure that that, you know, I'm sure that goes a long That's way to what you're doing. I mean, obviously you're going to ask about the deal in the market and those things. I think it kind of goes without saying, I think but, the, but I don't, I do not get asked enough about, you know, who are you, you know, yeah. like, what are you going to do when things get tough? I mean, I mean, doing deals like this, there's going to be times where there's unexpected things happen. Right. And maybe not mm-hmm. as bad as a pandemic, but it's mm-hmm. going to happen. I yeah. mean, that's any business. Right. Yeah, and so absolutely. you have to be, know you're with someone that's going to do right by their investors at that time. That's right. Well, you make money in real estate by solving problems, right? That's I right. Mean, that's exactly that, right. That, that's exactly what we do. So it's how good are you, you know, when it's clutch time right? Is something that's, I think, extremely important and how well have you prepared, right? To put you in the right Right. position. So yeah, I appreciate that, that insight. What are you most proud of in your career? You know, probably the first thing I think of there, I mean, there's many things we could say, I mean, hundred million last year in real estate or a thousand interviews in the last few years on podcast. I mean, all that took lots of dedication. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the biggest things is gaining back time freedom and being able to leave the W-2 where I can be in charge of my time. So ultimately I have more time with my family, right? That quality time with my children and my wife, where I can say, you know what? I'm going on a date. You know, like this, I can schedule a date. I can say this many times a month, my wife and I are going to get to go on a date, or I'm going to get these afternoons or even these whole days with my children. I think like you just can't get that time back. And that's probably yeah. one of the most things, you know, or biggest things that I'm proud of that's come from the, just the working so hard. You know, I didn't get that for a couple of years. I really had to say no to everything outside of almost business. I mean, I missed mm-hmm. every meal, almost every meal, except for Sundays with the family for, you know, nearly two years. And my mm-hmm. kids knew that like Sunday was the day dad was available, you know, so it took that level of commitment. And so getting that back is something I'm, I'm very proud of. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You put in the hard work and now you're you're bearing the fruits of it. So congratulations. Thank you. What book should everybody be reading? Well, <laughs> a business or just any or anything you like. I think the Bible can teach you everything you need to know. And I think you should spend time in, in God's word every morning. Second to that, I think like self-improvement, you know, and mm-hmm. learning self-discipline, things like that are things that like no one can take from you, you know, and even if you lose everything. I would say your business just just completely flops. Well, the skill sets, guess what? That you've learned, you still have. Right. Right. So, so you can go, most can go do it again. And you see even some of the biggest and most successful entrepreneurs today, some of them have have like filed bankruptcy numerous times. Right. And I'm not saying you have to do that to make it big, but, and you hope that that never happens. Right. However, guess what? They develop skill sets. And so that way they could only improve. They pick themselves up, up and they kept going. So to get to one book is The Power of Self-Discipline by Brian Tracy. And there's so many books about self-discipline and there's so many, you know, self-help things. However, mm-hmm. if you don't have the self-discipline to execute on those things, 
what do you expect to happen, yeah. right? If you don't have the yeah. self-discipline to get out of bed every morning, you're, you're not going to go very far, right? So I just think working on self-discipline uh, and to me is a, is a big deal. Uh, just continuously working on self-discipline and how to improve, you know, personally. Uh, and so no matter what happens, guess what? More times than not, you'll be able to pick yourself up and do even better the next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great message. Power of Self-Discipline by Brian Tracy, no excuses. Another one that I have here is called The Road Less Stupid. I would also recommend that book. <laughs> I like that. I've heard of that one. I'll have to check that out. And then lastly, what is your number one key to success? You know, I, I ask everybody that same question. And I think that the willingness to be uncomfortable and step out, like it's the first thing that has to happen, right? Mm-hmm. It is mentally, mm-hmm. you have to be willing to be uncomfortable because if you're not, you're going to stay where you're at and you're afraid of change and it's just never going to happen for you, right? You can't improve because you're afraid of failure. So you never step out there. So yeah. I think the number one key is changing your mind to, you know, look for those things to say, you know what, you know, if I feel some fear there, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to push through it. Like, let's just go do it <laughs> because yeah. I, I see the fear coming. Let's just go, go towards it. Right. You know, I'm in a group called C12 and they call it Buffalo culture. And it's like Buffalo, you know, they like charge the storm, you know? And, and so I love that mindset of like charging the storm. Yeah. I love that. Right. All the growth happens outside of your comfort zone. So Whitney, if folks want to get in touch with you, how can they reach you to learn more about what you're doing? Lifebridgecapital.com. Uh, we have numerous white papers there on passive investing and different things that will help you you know, get into this space and, and grow your wealth uh, successfully through uh, syndication. You can email me, Whitney, at lifebridgecapital.com. Obviously, you can sign up on our contact us page. You can also call or text me at 540-585-4338. Our team will reach out to you or schedule a call, but you're welcome to call me anytime you want. Awesome. Well, Whitney, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for bringing so much value to all the listeners and hope you have a great rest of the day. My pleasure. Thank you, Kent. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit kentritter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.